0: you know what I've been wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. How you doing? (laughs) I'm surviving. How you doing? About the same. Yeah. For Reddit today, are you going to happen to talk about something that came up on the news overnight last night? Maybe. Okay, so we're not going to talk about it now. I'm so excited. I was like, I got a text about it. Same! And I was like, What's going on? Okay. I kind of
1: hope we get there and it's not what you're thinking. And then you can tell me what you're thinking and we'll both have exciting news for each other. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's possible. No, it might be the same thing. It's probably
0: the same thing. It was nuts. Anyway, so we'll save that for later. Mm -hmm. Wow. We have an exciting middle segment to talk about. Yeah. Breaking news, (laughs) folks. Okay. So, do we just launch into the other part? What? My segment? Yeah. Sure. Why not? I got nothing to say. It might be kind of long. That's fine. I got nothing to say about how I'm doing. (laughs) We're doing pretty much exactly the same as we were last time. You know, we have good days. We got bad
1: days. I have been reading a couple things about how it's kind of normal psychologically um, during this time to have like long stretches of like three or four days where you feel so great and like, oh, this is life now. I'm adjusted. I get it. I'm normal. And then have quote unquote hell days where you just like suddenly feel really anxious and really depressed and like, like you're Mm -hmm. totally spinning out of control and you can't really predict when those days are going to happen. And the struggle with groups of people quarantined together is that you can never predict when each other's hell days are going to be. Right. Right. And so it's like, that's a whole other thing. Should we have are a code word with?
0: for our hell days?
1: <sighs> salsa dancing girl. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. The emoji. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, you send me salsa dancing girl, I know what's going on. Yeah.
1: Anyway, but today's not a hell day so far okay. for me. Okay. Good. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you asked me to talk about superheroes, which, girl, how dare you? Why? <laughs> because this was so. Such a long topic. I'm sorry. It's so detailed, and I, I didn't even put in as much as I could
0: have. I, I got fine. to a point where we'll see. Okay. I didn't ask you to write a book on it.
1: I did. Here we go. Chapter one. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a superhero let's get a definition even though everybody pretty much knows, is a fictional hero whose extraordinary or superhuman powers are often displayed in a fight against crime and assorted villains. Okay. They are widely popularized by comic books, comic strips, television, film, pop culture, and video games. Mm-hmm. Superman was the first widely hailed Hero, superhero he appeared in Sweet. action comics number one in june of 1938 oh. he was the prototype for many costume superheroes that followed and Good for him. Good for him. i know he's i like superman and, and
0: i feel fine. like people are
1: always like a superman
0: and i feel like i don't know he's cool <laughs> I feel about Superman the way I feel about Captain America, which is that they're the quintessential good guy, and that's mm. great for them, but I think the beautiful thing about superheroes is that as they've as they've been around, they've evolved to become more nuanced and things like that, and mm-hmm. I just don't think there's a lot of nuance to Superman. Same with Captain America. They're so straightforward, yep. and I think that, like, you can trust them to always do the right thing, and they don't really see them as flawed. Like, they don't really have flaws, mm. you know? At least not in, like the early interpretations of them but it is like we continue to have superheroes it's like no people want to see their heroes have flaws yeah. and they want to see them struggle with things yeah. i never watched smallville but that's my like neither did it. i although i remember i would
1: always see ads for it on like abc family and i would always want to watch it and then i never did okay well the thing about superman is that he was really timely like, he, again he premiered in 1938 yeah you know, it was like just pre World War Two. Yeah. The depression was still really affecting people. Yeah. And people found Superman really relatable actually. Yeah. Which sounds kind of um crazy. But no, that makes he was sense. an immigrant whose home had been destroyed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who was living his days like disguised as an assimilated American. Mm. Clark Kent, we all know. But he had this great secret ability to fight against corruption and Metropolis, though it's a fictionalized town, was really based on, like, a a city in America and had a lot of the same issues that American cities have. Yeah. And so... A lot of Jewish immigrants found him very relatable, having escaped yeah. Europe. Mm-hmm. um They found him to be somebody that they not like. Obviously, like we're not like, oh yeah, me and Superman, same guy, like same powers. But like, right, you know, they, they identified with they, that. Yeah, they saw him as, with uh, the
0: masked identity type of like, yeah. Type and
1: of also, deal. his villains were not like l- like the idea of like a super villain hadn't really been created yet. So his right. villains were like corrupt politicians, right, greedy landlords, like pickpockets. Like he was really standing up for the people of Metropolis and people really liked him because they were like oh yeah a guy who's fighting for like people like me. Mm -hmm. Working class people really liked him. The comic book genre in general has really been known to reflect what's going on in the history of the world at the time. Right. Superheroes typically were created to fight the problems that the real world is facing. Mm -hmm. So like we'll see going through this that like anytime America is involved in a war it is really reflected in superhero lore. Mm-hmm. I read a book about Wonder
0: Woman that talks a lot about that. Mm. Very interesting.
1: Many people view the history of superheroes and the history of comic books to be the same thing, be interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the history of comic books, which is, again, pretty much interchangeable with the history of, of superheroes, is defined by ages. So There's the Golden Age that was mm-hmm. 1938 to 1954. The Silver Age, which is 1956 to 1969. Now, when I first wrote that down, I wondered, well, what happened in 1955? Right. <laughs> Why'd we skip that year? Yeah. And I couldn't find anything on it, so I guess just nothing was going on superhero-wise then. Anything? The only thing that happened in that year was Marty McFly was visiting from the future. Yeah. <laughs> the Bronze Age, which was 1970 to 1980. The Late Bronze Age, they ran out of medals, which is from <laughs> 1980 to 1984. And the Modern Age, which was 1985 to the present. Gotcha. Fun fact, when comic books first started, they weren't original works. They were, like, reprintings or collections of comic strips from newspapers.
0: Oh. yep, yeah. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting.
1: They were mostly made up of short comedic stories, which we know as the funnies yeah or another word for them is the funny papers apparently although I've never heard anyone call them that mm-hmm. several characters existed that were kind of like superheroes and are kind of considered precursors mm-hmm. to superheroes like Zorro oh yeah um he well he existed in novels and in films yeah so he was kind of like a hero before heroes that makes sense and the Green Hornet also existed in the, on as a radio character
0: oh I didn't know that yeah that's interesting. Would they see, like, the Three Musketeers as kind of a Oh, like, probably. Precursor? If
1: Zorro was one. And, like, Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think, the, I think the, the examples of Green Hornet and Zorro really just because those were big in film and yeah. media that people were consuming regularly. Right. I need to look up who this guy is, but the first masked crime fighter in comic books because I guess technically Superman doesn't wear a mask, Um, was a superhero known as The Clock. Oh, eh. don't know Made him. by Centaur Publications in 1936. But he wasn't really a suit. I think he was just like a Robin Hood type probably. Right,
0: like a masked vigilante. Yeah, he type. probably
1: didn't have any powers or anything. Right. Okay, so two young men from Cleveland, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, created Superman, which is considered the launching of the superhero genre. Good for them. Yep. Yeah. The company that published Superman National Comics would later become DC Comics. Right. Sarah knows so much more about superheroes than I do, so I'm sure all this is like, uh-huh. No,
0: I don't know these names. These okay. are not, they, like I know that DC exists, and I know yeah. who their superheroes are, and I know who the Marvel superheroes yeah. are, but like, it's not like I've... I'm not well, like as- you know Superman belongs to DC. like yes, but know. I'm not asking you. I didn't ask you this to be like, tell me that you know about this and I'm gonna, yeah. make, I'm gonna test <laughs> you. no. like most of this, I don't know. <laughs> Following Superman's success,
1: DC created other superheroes such as the Crimson Avenger in 1938 and Batman in 1939.
0: Oh, Batman came a lot sooner than I thought. I know.
1: He's popped up real quick. He feels more like a 50 superhero to me. So I'm surprised he mm-hmm, popped up mm-hmm, in 39. Mm-hmm. They appeared in series, though, that weren't like specific to them. Um, Batman appeared in the Detective mm. comic book series. Yeah. And also uh, Sandman was created. I've never heard. I Well, I've heard of Sam- Sandman, the Batman villain. Sorry,
0: what? I missed that. Could you say it again, please? It
1: thought you said Oh it heard me say series. Mm-hmm. Shush no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Sandman. Sandman. I know him as the um isn't that a Batman villain? Maybe. It's maybe he's a Spider Man villain. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, what I'm yeah. thinking of. He was created in nineteen thirty nine. Superman though, he was the first superhero to get his own comic book series. Mm-hmm. The other heroes were just popping up in comic book series that existed and every gotcha. now and then be like, Oh, there's this guy named Batman. Right. Victor Fox was an accountant for the DC Comics company and he saw how much money that they were making off of these. So he split off and started his own comic book series called Fox Features Syndicate, which sounds like a spy organization, whatever. Its first feature, though, was this, um, a superhero named Wonder Man mm. in a comic called Wonder Comics. And DC sued them because Wonder Man was so obviously like an exact copy of Superman. Yeah. So <laughs> Fox Features Syndicate did not do well. <laughs> I don't think so. He did, though, go on to create some superheroes that, such as the Flame, the green mask and the blue beetle none of which I've ever heard of but I'm gonna list in a bit a lot of superheroes and I've heard of very few of them so
0: is that who Fox I don't know if you know this Fox from Batman is named after Victor Fox
1: like Lucius Fox Fox? yeah I don't know Mm, doesn't seem like a great guy for DC so I doubt it I mean this happened like around the same time that Batman was being created so gotcha I don't know maybe
0: it's just a coincidence
1: yeah who knows who knows? Many little copycat companies started popping up to create their own superheroes because DC was doing so well. They were like, oh, we could do that too. In 1939, Timely Comics started publishing and went on to be DC's main competitor. Mm-hmm. Their first superheroes were the Human Torch, the Submariner, and the Original Angel, which, ooh, I don't know if anybody else has seen the OA, but that made me think of that. The Original Angel appeared in an anthology series that they were publishing by the name that they would later change their company to, Marvel Comics ah uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. comic books were considered the perfect source of entertainment at the time because again the people were still affected by the great depression and heroic larger than life characters fighting for the demoralized masses was something that was really appealing mm-hmm. it was also usually they were 64 pages of original material that cost a dime mm-hmm. so it was a really affordable type of entertainment that you yeah. could um, keep up with that people really enjoyed and there was this really big boom of superheroes in 1940 and 1941. DC created The Flash, Hawkman, The Spectre, Hourman, Dr. Fate, Green Lantern, The Atom, Starman, Green Arrow, and Aquaman.
0: Okay. I only know like four of those. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Th- there's gonna be two points in this where I'm just gonna list some people. Okay. <laughs> also created at this time by other companies were The Spy Smasher, Bulletman, Ibis the Invincible, the world's mightiest mortal, Captain Marvel, Catman, Blue Bolt, the Black Terror, Hydroman.
0: Okay, I know like two of those. <laughs> the Ray.
1: Plastic Man. Oh, who I looked up Plastic Man and he sounds like Elastigirl. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally the same powers. Oh, I was
0: hearing he was gonna, like, hurl like, plastic at people. <laughs> no, that's
1: so bad for the environment, Sarah. Oh I, my gosh. I know, but like,
0: <laughs> it would be funny. No,
1: or like... he absorbs all the plastic. No, he basically can just, just, he's just a guy who shapeshifts into, like, oh. any shape. And he can turn himself into other people.
0: Okay, here's my thing with Elastigirl. Elastigirl is supposed to be super stretchy. Yeah. Not a shapeshifter, uh, but yet they, like, made her a shapeshifter, which I feel like is unfair. <laughs> like, well, I love Plastic her. Man can
1: do it, so. Yeah. Yeah, but can he stretch?
0: Like, I feel he like- can he, stretch, sh- he can
1: stretch. He can turn. His power- Here, I pulled
0: up. I it. feel like you should only be able to get one or the other. Or it's, like, if you can <laughs> stretch into a shape. I don't know. I just feel like Elastigirl got away with too much with how much she could stretch.
1: Well, apparently she can't even do as much as Plastic Man because Plastic Man can also turn himself into other people. Jesus. Um, I don't feel like that's not fair. I feel like that's too much power.
0: (laughs) Please edit.
1: uh, This is the Plastic Man page. Show me
0: Plastic Man. I'll look him up on my phone. He has a page. On Britannica.com. Oh, Oh, here here it
1: loaded. The Stretchable Sleuth. Uh, He's bulletproof, which I don't know if you've ever interacted with
0: plastic. I doubt it's bulletproof. No. (laughs) This man has got too much going for him. It's not fair. Men get everything. Now I'm mad for Elastigirl that she didn't get that.
1: He can roll himself into a ball, roll off a skyscraper, and bounce right back up. What? Um, he could make himself into a giant snail and f- a giant sail and fly through the air. A giant girl snail. Did it. <laughs> a
0: giant snail.
1: I was like, why does that help? <laughs> Bullets just bounce right off him. He could disguise himself as a chair, a boat, a lasso, a bag full of money, a blimp, a net, <laughs> anything that the creator could dream up. He's referred to as Plaz. Does he have a weakness? Man. I don't know. He could also change his features to impersonate anybody from a beautiful woman to Adolf Hitler himself. While he is seemingly invulnerable enough to withstand being flattened by a steamroller, he was badly affected by intense heat and cold. Heat would make him melt and cold would make him stiffen like a board. Okay. Okay, So he does have a weakness. Okay.
0: That seems more fair. Extreme temperatures. (laughs) Yeah. That seems more fair.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Midnight, the human bomb, Magno, the magnetic man... (laughs) Daredevil, who I don't think is the Daredevil. I think it's a there, Yeah, Daredevil. there was
0: like a first iteration of yeah. Daredevil.
1: The Black Hood, The Comet, and Will Eisner's The Spirit. Oh. Superhero subcategories were popping up, such as sidekicks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who I love that. This article I was reading went out of the way to define them as preteen or teenage junior superheroes who worked alongside their adult mentors. I feel like I've seen so many grown-up sidekicks. (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing? Why aren't you just a superhero by yourself? True. The first sidekick was Robin, the boy Wonder. Oh, I was going to ask. Yeah. (laughs) Batman creator Bob Kane thought him up as a gateway for young readers to live vicariously through him. That's sweet. Also... (laughs) The first year of Batman comics were really dark and gruesome. Mm-hmm. Batman was originally thought of to be an anti-hero who would hurl mobsters off of rooftops. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so Robin was also sort of meant to like lighten the mood. Yeah, <laughs> and to bring some brevity to the series. Other kid sidekicks included Toro and Captain Marvel Jr. Mm. (laughs) Um, Super heroines also started being a thing. There was Wonder Woman, The Woman in Red, Phantom Lady, Lady Luck, Black Cat, and there were a few female sidekicks such as Bullet Girl, Hawk Girl, Mary Marvel, and Catman's partner, Kitten.
0: (laughs) (laughs) love Kitten. (laughs) I want to
1: read that comic book series. Catman and
0: Kitten. Catman and Kitten, yeah. I'll Mm -hmm. find it for you. In
1: 1940, the first super team was born. The Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and other DC superheroes joined forces as the Justice Society of America.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They really, Justice League really fit better. They really edited that one down. (laughs) (laughs)
1: They were like, that's a bit wordy.
0: Uh, (laughs) Justice. Okay.
1: I specifically wrote down, let's talk about the Submariner because I mentioned him briefly before, uh, but I started reading a little bit about him and I don't understand why there hasn't been a Submariner movie. I feel like I have heard of
0: this superhero, but I can't remember off the top of my head what he's about.
1: Well, I know if we made a Submariner movie now, people would be like, okay, you just made Aquaman.
0: Right. But this guy. Is he a DC hero? No, he's Marvel. Okay. But look at that. What am I looking at? Just that he's hot? He's just this ripped dude who only wears a little green Speedo. Like Aquaman.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's also got these gold bracelets. Sick Wonder Woman reference. He's the mutant son of a human sea captain and a princess of the mythical undersea kingdom Atlantis. Again, sounds kind of like Aquaman. But the whole thing about him is that he's super angry at humans because... Um, I don't know how, but he believes that they somehow have harmed Atlantis, I assume environmentally, but Mm -hmm. his whole thing is seeking revenge against the wrongdoings done to, done to Atlantis. So he's literally like considered a terrorist.
0: He just like attacks New York City. Did he become a villain later? I don't know. Okay, oh. this shot. This is like a direct. This this, this magazine cover. It's not. It's not a comic. This is a magazine like about him. Mm-hmm. Um. It's literally Aquaman. Like he's wearing the same like scale shorts. He's holding this trident that <laughs> Aquaman has. So maybe they just couldn't make it because it was way too similar to Aquaman. But Aquaman maybe. likes humans.
1: I kind of wonder if they used a lot of influences from The Submariner to like in the Aquaman movie. But like The Submariner's whole thing is that he's like broody and like mm-hmm. angry and he's an anti-hero.
0: Right. Which again, I was like, I feel like so many people like Batman. He for is an X Men. Okay, I was gonna ask if he's an X-Man because oh, mutants, okay. X-Men. Because mutants, X Men are all mutants. Mm-hmm. Um and he is. He was at one point of offici- aff- affiliated with the X-Men. So I think that's why I've heard of him. I don't think mm-hmm. he's been in any um
1: mm-hmm. of the X
0: Men movies, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But I do I have yeah, that's why I heard of him. And he also was associated with the Fantastic Four at one point. Okay. So that's probably why. Yeah.
1: I them. Okay. So, with the exception of the Submariner, all superheroes had secret identities. Their superpowers were obtained through bizarre, often scientifically based occurrences or through the acquisition of power inducing devices, okay. i.e., Iron Man. Right. Batman. Right. They wore costumes and often a mask, cape, or both to hide their identities. Just so you know, guys, we can see through all that. Like, (laughs) I can see you, Clark Kent. Um. (laughs) (laughs) They often adopted flamboyant behaviors to, like, put on a shtick, like, for their comic series. Makes sense. And they engaged in bizarre or outlandish escapades. Oh. And they dedicated their lives to fighting crime, or specifically fighting Nazis, for the case of a lot of them. I see. Okay, so World War Two happens. Right. <laughs> Many superheroes joined the war effort for World War II. Captain Marvel, before America even joined the fight, before Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. they fought nazis and japanese soldiers on the cover of their comics Mm -hmm. and in one special comic for look magazine superman apprehended both adolf hitler and joseph stalin Mm -hmm. which when i read that i was like oh okay Mm -hmm. the shield was the first like specifically patriotic superhero It's a red white and blue crime fighter who obtained powers from a secret formula in order to protect American soil from enemy saboteurs and spies. Okay. So he was like an early Captain America. Yeah. And then in March of
0: 1941, Marvel premiered Captain America. Ah, there we go. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. (laughs) The original Avengers costumes for like who we think of as the core Avengers were so stupid. Captain America's was fine. Iron Man looks so dumb. (laughs) it cracks me up. He looks like the Iron Giant. (laughs) Um, It's so funny. (laughs) But both the Shield and Captain America existed
1: before America joined the fight. Before Pearl Harbor really happened. But after America joined World War II um character more patriotic characters were created right such as miss victory u.s jones the star-spangled kid and stripesy which was a kid <laughs> hero and his adult psychic sidekick who <laughs> i, wanna like, yeah, I want to watch hilarious. that yeah that sounds turn hilarious turn that into a comedy show yeah like, i'm ready for that one pat patriot captain victory the fighting yank captain flag <laughs> The American Eagle, The Spirit of 76, American Crusader, Captain Fearless, Flagman.
0: <laughs> I love Flagman. I've heard of Flagman. <laughs> I've heard people make fun of Flagman. <laughs> my my favorite minor superhero is Flagman.
1: Yankee Girl, Liberty Bell, spelled B E L L E. I like that one. And Minuteman, the one-man army, were just some of them. Yeah. Big thing. Superheroes that already existed also, like, got involved. Batman and Robin sold war bonds, which sounds like exactly how they'd get involved. Yeah. Like, not fighting anybody, but, like, doing business deals from the side. Like,
0: yeah. Uh, Batman's always been a little bit like, eh, are you really helping? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're hurting as much as you're helping, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel about Batman. Yeah.
1: The Submariner, oh, which in this article I read about him referred to him as the Undersea Terrorist. redirected his aggression from attacking New York landmarks towards sinking Japanese subs. So he's kind of like, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of a chaotic neutral. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. I was like briefly skimming his Wikipedia article and it's like at a certain point he like became an enemy because he found out that Atlantis had been destroyed by a nuclear bomb. So then he becomes like a bad guy for yeah. the Fantastic Four. But then, uh, he, then he joins the X-Men. So it's like a weird, the only mm-hmm. thing I compare it to is like Suicide Squad type yeah. of deal, you know? Yeah. But a lot of the X Men were former villains that were like reformed, yeah. quote unquote, under Professor X. So that makes sense yeah. for him.
1: So this whole like this giant boom of superheroes that were created in 1940 and 1941 mm-hmm. really um is because it was just selling well. They were selling millions of copies. Yeah. So so many people were like, okay, let's just write another one with, with uh, I don't know, Flagman, uh, sell it. Oh, what a million people bought it. Great, keep do, do another one. Like, right. Right. It was just, it was a crazy industry. Yeah. It should be noted that a lot of these comics that were created in this early time had a lot of, like, heavy-handed ethnic stereotyping. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. The social prejudices of the day were rampant in Mm -hmm. the stories. Um, Captain Arrow had a little Chinese pal named Chop Suey, quote-unquote. The Lone Ranger had, quote-unquote, his faithful Indian companion, Tonto. Right. Um, The Mandrake Magician had... His quote unquote obedient African aid Lothar. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: There were a lot of examples like that. Uh, I will say that we shouldn't necessarily be thinking of it as, oh, the comic book industry was so racist back then, as more so the case of America was so racist yeah, back right. then. Yeah, and this yeah, was yeah. just
0: uh, a reflection. A reflection of biases like, and things like yeah,
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. The end of World War II kind of brought about a dwindle of superhero creation yeah um the big ones like superman batman and wonder woman they kept going strong but Mm -hmm. i don't know other ones kind of died out yeah and the industry kind of was dwindling and dwindling and then it took a really big hit in 1954 when psychologist dr frederick Wortham published a book titled seduction of the innocent saying that comic books caused juvenile delinquency and moral decay amongst youth So, in response to this, the Senate Judiciary Committee, which I can't believe the government had time to do this, um, (laughs) created a subcommittee to investigate juvenile delinquency in the United States. In response,
0: I don't know, this was also the same time as, like, Manic Panic and all mm -hmm. that, so I feel like they were just really afraid of what the youth were doing, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Yeah.
1: In response, the um, creators of comic books all came together and kind of proactively, I, th- I think this is cool of them, created the Comics Magazine Association of America, mm-hmm. and they created the Comics Code Authority, which created 41 standards of ethics with guidelines regarding the depiction of sex, crime, horror, and violence within comic books. Cool. Which I think is a good response to being like, oh, you're saying that you're worried about how our product affects... Um, Children,
0: yeah.
1: Well, let's work together as a company and see if we can fix that for you. Yeah. Like we still want to exist, so here you go. Right. But this didn't really work market-wise, though. Like sales took a big hit, and people thought that their comics were now being dumbed down, mm-hmm. and it it just really hurt them as an industry, and right. it ended the golden age of comic books. Gotcha. The Adventures of Superman, though, went on to be a syndicated television show, which television was also a factor. Yeah. Of like comic book sales going down because people didn't need to buy comic books. You just watch TV, you know? So this guy named Julius Schwartz (laughs) really wanted to bring back the comic book industry. Uh So he had the idea to revamp old characters. Mm Mm-hmm. He totally recreated The Flash in 1956. He, like, recre- recreated his story before Barry Allen didn't exist at all. It was, like, a completely different story. Yes. But he took the same idea of the fastest man in the world mm-hmm. and rewrote it. He, like, redid The Flash's look, gave him a flashy new costume, made the whole series different, and it really worked. Like, people really responded to that, and The Flash became a big-selling comic. Mm-hmm. And so Julius Schwartz suggested that they do the same thing with other characters. Batman got a big revamp. The Green Lantern got a big revamp. Okay. So that really started like the silver age of Mm -hmm. you know, comic books. Yeah. And it was really a thing again. Mm -hmm. And in nineteen sixty, the Justice League was created.
0: Cool. (laughs) Better name that time. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Instead of the Justice Society of America.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I think it's different things. It's different characters. This, I think, is a a funny story. So DC was doing really well with these, with with the Justice League specifically. It was selling a lot of copies. So one day, DC publisher Jack Leibowitz was on the golf course with Martin Goodman, who was the Marvel Comics publisher. Or a publisher. And he was bragging about how much money they were making from the Justice League and how well the Justice League was doing. And Marvel was not doing as well at the time. So Martin Goodman... Went to his staff editor, Stan Lee. (laughs) Yes. And told him to create a group of superheroes similar to the Justice League.
0: Yeah.
1: Which I will say, like, the creations of Stan Lee from then, like, has zero similarities to the Justice League. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, copy the Justice League. It was like, just... You know how they're making success with a group? Make a group. And so yeah. he created a, something yeah. that's very different. No,
0: the superheroes of Justice League are so yeah. different than the heroes of the Avengers. Yeah. Like similar ideas and like that we're fighting together, yeah. but very different characterizations mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Fun fact I keep saying fun fact anytime, I just mean like. Here's a next Here's fact. a tidbit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> next bullet point. <laughs> yeah. Stan Lee was about to quit his job in the comic industry, oh. but his wife encouraged him not to. Uh. He, years later, wrote a biography and he said in it, um, for once I wanted to write stories that wouldn't insult the intelligence of an older reader. Stories with interesting characterization, more realistic dialogue, and plots that hadn't been recycled a thousand times before. Yeah. So I love that. with this... So he was literally like about to quit and then his boss was like maybe make a group. Mm-hmm. So with this direction he created the Fantastic 4. Mm-hmm. Um he went on to create the Incredible Hulk, Thor, Doctor Strange, uh, Daredevil as we know him, yeah. The X-Men. Um <laughs> he wrote his own submariner comics, uh, Captain America and the Breakaway Star who went on to be like so big on his own, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. Mm-hmm. While DC was still going pretty strong, people liked Marvel a lot better Mm -hmm. because DC was, like, as Stanley was saying, like, they were really recycling storylines. It's very formulaic. Yeah, and there was a lot of just, like black and white good versus evil fights whereas yeah. like stan lee was writing stories that dealt with real world issues like he was writing in the late 60s and 70s so right. he was writing about campus unrest and right. corrupt businessmen he was writing about issues that you know his readers really connected to Were like these are struggles that our country yeah. is facing i
0: also appreciate that marvel their characters live in real cities as mm. opposed to a lot of the dc characters live in fictitious places that resemble like Gotham has a lot of resemblances to Chicago and New York as does Metropolis but like Spider-Man lives in New York Spider-Man's from Queens you know there's something very different about that Mm -hmm. um than when you're reading about a character in a fictitious place and some of the Marvel heroes that's I mean Batman does not have superpowers but uh there are quite a few Marvel superheroes with like big claims to fame that don't have superpowers. Yeah, like, Iron Man does not have superpowers. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking to like the capabilities of the average human, and that like they all were average people to begin with. Like mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne is a highly rich person, was never yeah. average. <laughs> as man Superman's, <laughs> Superman's from another planet, but like yeah. Peter Parker was just like a random kid. You
1: well, know, Superman. Like people, keep being like he's an alien, but technically he
0: was raised on Earth. Like he came here as a baby. Yeah, but he wasn't born here. All right. No, I, mean, like, <laughs> I don't mean to be like <laughs> that's not really terrible. Against, um, I don't want to be Krypton. racist against, against Krypton, <laughs> but if someone was born on Mars and they weren't our species, you know, I'm not talking about like yeah. humans going and colonizing Mars. I'm talking yeah. about like new species of person from Mars. Yeah, you also would be like, yes, an alien.
1: Yeah, I think. Well, I think that like what I was saying is that's why some people thought he was really cool. he was like an immigrant from somewhere that had been destroyed yes. and no, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But he was raised with the values of a A human. human. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, that definitely is fascinating for sure.
1: So, DC and Marvel, like, basically went on to be the two big superhero creating Mm -hmm. companies from then, from that point on. Uh, Other ones exist, but they're just not as big. Yeah. And Marvel, though, has had, like, the most consistent success, mm-hmm. DC's done well. That they've taken a couple hits here or there, but mostly I like. I think reading this made me respect Marvel so much more as a company mm-hmm. because DC it seemed like they literally did whatever they could to make the most money, mm-hmm. whereas Marvel was doing the most to create the best content Mm -hmm. um stan lee was one of the biggest people who was really fighting to get more diversity into his stories Mm. and this also made me really respect stan lee i love
0: stan lee (laughs) (laughs) i saw i remember vividly i was at a restaurant when the news broke that he died and i just started crying because i was like i don't even know why it's not like i'm like a super hardcore comic book nerd but i was just so like oh my god you know because he's such an icon
1: So Marvel, I think, just stayed the most popular because it was just producing the best content Mm -hmm. and the most, like, socially relevant content. Right. In the late 60s and 70s, there was a bit of a move from comic books to television. And -hmm. pretty much any time a big pop culture medium uh, pops up, superheroes move to that. Like, when video games became big, superhero video games were were made. Mm -hmm. Uh, When movies were... When, like, big blockbuster movies were the thing. Like, superhero movies were being made. Not that there weren't superhero movies before. There were a couple little ones. Right. In 1966 through 1968, there was a Batman TV series starring Adam West. And this started this cultural phenomenon called Batmania. (laughs) Like, it just made Batman as a, a really popular character. Right. Across many demographics. Mm-hmm. And one of the really big ones was teenage girls. Now, people were like, oh, this is the case because Adam West was really hot. Mm.
0: People were
1: like, oh, all the teenage girls just have a crush on Adam West. Now, I think that's probably part of it. Right.
0: But I
1: think we're also, like, that's kind of rude to teenage girls to be like, that's the only reason they could enjoy a superhero series. Yeah. Like, I feel like before it must have been, like, not a thing girls felt like they could comfortably do to be like I'm gonna go to the comic book store
0: whereas now you could like enjoy a superhero from your own home yeah absolutely I, I yeah I think that's underwriting yeah why also Batman I don't know if at this time this is true but Batman has had notable female characters in his universe mm-hmm. that are, like like Barbara Gordon is a really mm-hmm. amazing character um Rachel Dawes is mm-hmm. a really notable character so it, that's also could be could be part of it. Yeah. It might not be, but yeah. it's possible. Also, girls can find superheroes cool. Yeah. Just because they exactly. are. Exactly. Like-
1: <laughs> uh, I watched this whole video by crack.com that I really related to that was when Wonder Woman was being made and all the marketers were like, how do we, how do we market this movie? and right. the women of crack.com were basically like look at the people who are going to see superhero movies you will see that 50 percent of it is women yeah. regardless was... of the fact that it seems like it's marketed towards guys right so just market it like you normally would and you will probably get a similar demographic and yeah. I was like yes like you don't it's need to true it's true you don't need to change your marketing
0: no you don't
1: So after this, Batmania, even though there was a superheroes cartoon show beforehand, Mm -hmm. like there were a lot of TV shows made after that. Mm -hmm. As I said, um, in the late 60s and 70s, there was a big effort to include more diversity in the comics. This was mostly done by Marvel, not as much DC. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. Checks out. Um, So that's my research, because from then on, it's basically like a lot of the big superheroes just remained popular and there yeah. was a lot of like like Superman, Batman, S- Spider-Man, all of the big ones mm-hmm. really continued from then on and became popular in their own ways. Yeah. And they made, there wasn't as much creation of new superheroes from then on. I'm sure mm-hmm. a couple pop up here and then, but right. N- none of them have had big commercial success
0: or like have been known by a lot of people. Right. And there's a lot of just, like, rewritings and reworkings exactly. of existing heroes. Like, yeah. She-Hulk, you
1: mm-hmm. know.
0: Um, I don't think it's She-Thor. I think it's just Thor still. But, mm-hmm. like, reiterations of superhero her- superheroes as women yeah. or as people of color or things mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So... <laughs> that was really interesting. Like, I was
1: surprised that it was so much about the 40s. Like, I was really worried when I was doing my research that I was spending so much time typing stuff about the 30s and the 40s that I was like, I'm gonna be here for years. Yeah. I haven't even gotten to 1942 no, yeah, yet. Yeah, like,
0: but no, but that's, like, really the crux of it. Yeah. Um, Like I said, I read a book. There's a book called The Secret History of Wonder Woman. It's such an interesting book. Um, I read it before I even, like, knew anything about Wonder Woman you know I had like the movie hadn't even come out yet but so it was kind of a random pick for me but I'm really glad I read it because it goes over you know how Wonder Woman was really a response to World War II and also Mm. a lot about like The creator wonder woman like had a secret second wife and it was this whole like he's got a really interesting story too just in itself so it was a lot about that and about how the women in his life created wonder woman Mm -hmm. um but so much of it was about how wonder woman was a response to world war ii Mm -hmm. Um, and it didn't really get into marvel all that much because she's a dc character but it did talk about like Mm -hmm. it didn't talk about superman but it did say like oh captain marvel was Mm -hmm. or captain um America was the quintessential Marvel, yeah, World War II superhero, and Mm. like Wonder Woman was kind of that for DC, yeah. But it is interesting, yeah, how art imitates life, yeah. So cool. All right, do you want to talk about your crazy thing for your middle segment?
1: (laughs) I'm ready. So i waking up this morning, finishing up my research, mm-hmm. not sure what I'm going to do for my middle segment, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I get, like, a news notification about the Pentagon
0: officially <laughs> releasing <laughs> the UFO videos. Oh, my God. I literally, I, I woke up to a text from my little about it, and I was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, because I had crazy dreams last night, and then I was like, did I wake up? Because she sent me the text at like yeah. three in the morning, so I was like, did I wake up, read that text, forget, and then have crazy dreams? It's possible. Tell me more. I did. I purposely was like, I'm not going to read too much into this, yeah. just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. Oh my god, tell so, me more. These videos, like we already had them mm-hmm.
1: because- They were um, leaked, weren't they? Yeah. In like 2017, I think it was. Uh, So these were videos that were um, caught by the Navy, by like Navy planes. Mm -hmm. Um, And (laughs) in December of 2017, they gave the videos to the STARS Academy of Arts and Sciences, which Mm -hmm. was a company co-founded by former Blink-182 musician Tom DeLonge. So, but basically this company leaked the videos and was like everybody look what the navy just showed us like yeah and the navy at the time could not keep their cool (laughs) (laughs) me too yeah the the navy at the time was like yes they're real but for some for whatever reason Mm -hmm. very recently the pentagon decided like we don't want there to be any misconception about what these videos are. And so they officially release them to the public being like, these are UFO videos that we have. There are three of them. All of them, if you are looking at them are just like, Black and white videos because they're captured from, like, a specific camera on the plane. (laughs) Of literally, like, shapes flying through the air. And I, like, I couldn't tell you what they are. Yeah, I watched one of the videos. They don't look like birds. No. I don't understand. They don't, they're not, they're all, like, well, one of them has a, like, very specific shape. (laughs) But the two other ones are like circular and it's like what could the- it moves too fast for me to think it's like a balloon mm-hmm. it doesn't look like a balloon anyway
0: yeah and That's
1: it- why it's unidentified and it's it moves an unknown too thing. quickly to like all of them but you can hear the reaction in them of the people who are capturing them on film yeah like, being like what is that and the people who saw them are baffled so i mean i don't have too much information other than that but
0: it's just a big thing people should be aware of. Um, I saw a tweet today that was like, you know, the world is on fire when the Pentagon releases USO videos and UFO videos, and it barely got in the news. <laughs> like, they, I mean, technically, like we already had these. I, did Buzzfeed and do an episode about them? Um, Buzzfeed himself has done an episode about UFOs and about alien spottings, but I don't think they mentioned these specific I videos. They did. Or maybe they did in that episode. Like, uh, they've done famous. Abduction cases.
1: Mm. I'm gonna look it up later, but I swear. Anyway, I was made aware of these videos a couple years ago. Yeah, uh, but just it's so strange that the Pentagon's like, yeah, here there have been UFOs. Like <laughs> you might as well know we're not gonna be a se- We're not gonna be secretive about it. Yeah, which is on one hand makes them look less suspicious of like having alien knowledge if they're like okay look here's what we got yeah but on the (laughs) other hand it's like if this is what they're telling us like what are they not Not
0: telling us us? (laughs) right right exactly oh boy wow that was super exciting (laughs) I'm glad it was the same thing (laughs) I was like I really feel like if she hasn't already picked her topic and even maybe if she already has (laughs) this is gonna be what she's gonna talk about and I'm jazzed (laughs) That's nuts. Oh, my God. What a time to be alive. Well, it's, like, we're stuck inside. Like, we're not going anywhere. You know, it's not like we can all rush to the Pentagon and be, like, release the aliens. Like, yeah, we which- could. Plus, like, they're in Virginia, you know, which is so close to where all those people are, like,
1: I just feel like the Pentagon's got other issues right now. Like, why now, why is now the time that they're, like, put this out there? Like, what are they
0: covering up? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're doing something really shady, so they're like, give them the UFOs so they don't notice what we're doing over here. Yeah. It's possible. Oh, boy. How exciting for everyone. <laughs> I d- Oh, I just remembered what I asked you about. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, I guess. Okay, so today we are going to be discussing the Spanish flu of 1918. Great. You know, really bringing it back <laughs> to the last...
1: I- I'm glad you're gonna tell me about this because literally anytime I hear anything about the Spanish flu, I just think, uh, Edward Cullen.
0: Yeah, yeah me too. And
1: it was a big cultural thing, I'm sure, and I'm simplifying it.
0: To yeah, I, re- vampire. I always get this confused with yellow fever, but mm. yellow fever was 200 years earlier mm-hmm. um, and was a really big deal. But the Spanish flu, many articles I read were like, this was a really big deal and people know so little about it. Yeah, it's, So it's very odd. So the Spanish flu, or the 1918 flu pandemic, was an influenza pandemic that lasted almost three years from January 1918 to December 1920. Oh no. The flu infected 500 million people, which is a third of the world's population at the time.
1: Wow. That makes me think, though, that our population has grown so, so fast, much. right? Our population- was
0: only, like, 1.5 a hundred years Aren't there ago? are there now, like, 8 billion of us now? Almost. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? Jeez. That really made me scared. The CDC estimates the number of deaths to be about 50 million worldwide, including <sighs> 600 675,000 in the U.S., Although it is called the Spanish flu, scientists could never identify the origin of the flu. The name came from the flu spread from Spain to France in November 1918. Spain, at the time, was not involved in World War I, so their Mm. newspaper was one of the only in the world headlining the disease amidst the the war early on. Mm -hmm. King Alfonso VIII himself became very sick, but did survive. Virologist John Oxford theorized that the center of the Spanish flu was the British hospital camp in a France. Mm-hmm. He found that in late 1916, this camp was hit by a disease with a high mortality rate similar to the flu. I just realized that earlier I said from Spain to France. It's the other way around. It went from France to Spain. And then Spain got sick first. And, mm-hmm. But they were the only people publishing in the newspaper like, hey, people are getting sick and that's suspicious because most places where people were getting sick there was a war going on so they were like people are sick and it's yeah, the war infection right but yeah. spain was like we're not at war why are we sick mm. right um a similar outbreak then occurred in Aldershot, england and military pathologists later recognized these early outbreaks as the same as the 1918 flu so it really first popped up in 1916 and 1917 but it didn't become a pandemic until 1918 Mm-hmm. Overcrowded military camps and hospitals are an ideal environment for the spread of a respiratory virus. About 100,000 shoulders passed through the camp every day. Yeah. A report published in 2016 in the Journal of the Chinese Medical Association found evidence that the 1918 virus had been circulating in the European armies for months and possibly years before the 1918 pandemic. Mm-hmm. When an infected person sneezes or coughs, more than half a million virus particles spread to those nearby. World War I absolutely hastened the spread and allowed the virus to mutate quickly to be more deadly. Mm-hmm. Soldiers' own fatigue and malnourishment also contributed to the high death rate. Most of these deaths, at least in the first year and a half, were amongst soldiers. Mm-hmm. At this time, modern transportation also made travel easier and a lot of a traveling was occurring across Europe as the military was moving and, you know, there were faster boats. There were, you know, it was just easier to move around in general. Like, yeah. trains were faster so people could go more places would also meant that they were spreading it, like, a lot faster.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The first disease in the U.S. was observed in Haskell County, Kansas. Some people think that it started in the U.S. in Haskell County, but because of these early cases at these British camps, they're pretty sure that's where it came from, but it is unknown how it yeah. got. If it did start there, how then it got to the U.S., most likely just through soldiers traveling. Um, on March 4th, Company cook Albert Gitchell, who is from Haskell County, reported sick at Fort Riley, which is not in Kansas. Mm -hmm. Um, And within several days, 522 at Fort Riley reported sick. A week later, the virus reached Queens.
1: Oh, no. Mm -hmm.
0: The first wave, which was January through March of 1918, resembled typical epidemics. The at-risk groups had the highest mortality rate and others recovered. So those older than 65 or younger than two. Mm Mm-hmm were had the highest chances of dying from the disease, but the rest of them, they would get sick, but they would recover. But this flu had several waves, and the second was much more deadly than the first. In August 1918, which is when the second wave started, a more dangerous strain appeared in Bray, France, and Freetown, Sierra Leone, and the Boston Navy Yard simultaneously other military sites and Ireland because of U.S. troops were soon affected as the troops like traveled through Ireland to get to England oh sorry Ireland yeah they were already dealing with enough (laughs) the Spanish flu killed more people in 24 weeks than HIV and AIDS killed in 24 years Oh, which is horrible and I know like I don't want to downplay the HIV AIDS epidemic just like it just shows a lot about like how quickly it spread and how deadly it was, you know? Also, HIV-AIDS will kill you over a number of years. This, like, it was really fast, (laughs) how fast it set in. The death rate varied between countries. About 5% of India's whole population died. That's 12 to 17 million people. Ah! Mm -hmm. But only 1 to 1.25 million of China's population died. So it just really depended on the country and where they were and who was traveling through there yeah. at the time. Um, also, they think that China had built up a stronger immunity to the disease because of, like, conditions in China at the time, which is why it was less deadly, because they had stronger immune systems. Okay. Could have contributed. Between 8 to 22% of Iran's population died. nearly a quarter. That's like more than one in five people. Yeah. That's terrifying. 28% of U.S. citizens became infected, but only 0.48 to 0.81% of the population died. Okay. Yeah. The huge death toll was a result of high infection rate and misdiagnosis. The Spanish flu was also particularly dangerous because mortality was very high in healthy people among ages 20 oh. to 40 years old. You were more likely to die if you were in that range than you were if you were 65 and older. Is it because if you got sick, you'd be like, yeah, I'm young. I'm not going to worry about it. I'll get better. Well, and part you- of it was that, again, like I said, misdiagnosis. The Spanish flu looked a lot like other common ailments, so mm-hmm. they would be treated for the wrong things thing for too long
1: mm.
0: also we they just knew a lot less about medicine than we do now yeah like, even though it was only 100 years ago like we've come a really long way in those mm-hmm. 100 years between 1918 and 1919 99 percent of deaths in the u.s occurred in people under 65 nearly half being adults 20 to 40 years old most of the time like i said the flu is deadly to infants or adults over 70 but some speculate that older adults had built up some immunity because of the 1889 russian flu pandemic mm-hmm. so they had kind of they'd already been through that and they had had a stronger immune system for it so they were less at risk um and like i said most of the people that died were soldiers as well. And that's that 20 to 40 range because mm-hmm. they were in terrible conditions. Like, the flu could spread so quickly. There was not enough medical equipment to take care of them. Um, and a lot of this happened in cities as well, um, which caters to younger people. You know, yeah. People working in factories, things like that, that were really dirty. Yeah. Where you're all crushed together, um, which is why those were the, that was the population that was getting the most sick. According to historian John M. Barry, the most vulnerable of all people, quote, those most likely to die of um, the disease were pregnant women.
1: Mm. He
0: reported that in 13 studies of hospitalized women in the pandemic, the death rate ranged from 23 to 71 percent. And of pregnant women who survived childbirth, over one quarter lost the child. Which is sad. This virus also spread in the summer and the autumn in the heat. It was not killed by heat. M- hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Which everyone, just like now, they kept saying it's going to die in the summer. It'll die in the summer. Which yeah. it looked like it was because the first wave happened in the, win- in like, early winter. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, we're good. It died. Yeah. But then it came back in August. Mm-hmm. So everyone was like, I don't know. And that's when it was at its most deadly. Modern analysis has shown the virus to be particularly deadly because it triggers a psychopene Storm, which is an overreaction of the body's immune system, which means that the stronger your immune system is, the (gasps) deadlier the virus is. Oh. Which is messed up. Like, that's crazy. Our our body. (sighs) Why are we designed this way? (laughs) But literally, it's that the virus tricks your immune system and so it overworks it. And that causes respiratory failure. The most common ailment... Most people died of um, pneumonia because your mm. immune system was overworking and it was affecting your lungs. And so you died from it. Mm. Um, some, like I said, died from malnourishment because they were already malnourished and then the disease just, like... Yeah. Made it worse. Um the increased severity has been attributed to the circumstances of the First World War. In civilian life, natural selection favors a, like, mild strain of disease, um, which means that when that happens, those who get very ill will stay at home, and those who are mildly ill will continue with their lives, which means they're mm-hmm. spreading mm-hmm. the mild strain. Yeah. Um, but in the trenches, this was reversed because soldiers with a mild strain stay where they were, And the severely ill were sent on crowded trains to crowded field hospitals, which would spread the virus faster. Mm. Yeah. People think! Oh my gosh. I mean, like, what were they, like, they were sick, so they weren't going to be like, you can't go to a doctor, you know? Like, the humane part of you knows that's that's not right, but it's still, like, it definitely made it worse. Mm -hmm. After the second lethal wave struck in late 1918, new cases dropped abruptly. Almost nothing after the peak in the second wave. In Philadelphia, for example, 4,597 people died in the week ending with October 16th, but by the 11th of November, the influenza had almost disappeared from the city. Like, Mm. that fast. A third wave of the flu started in January 1919 and lasted until June 1919. It primarily affected Spain, Serbia, Mexico, and Great Britain, resulting in hundreds of thousands of deaths. Even in areas where mortality was low, so many adults were incapacitated that much that everyday life was hampered. Mm -hmm. They were like, this one article was like, some stores even closed. I was like, wow, your store's closed. (laughs) Like, that's what got me. But like, they didn't know, you know, they didn't know that they should all shelter in place. Why did that just break me? Right? It's like, oh, your store's closed? They had to leave delivery deliveries outside. They were like, yeah, they had to leave stuff outside the front door for you to pick up. It's like what a concept! <laughs> oh my, my god. god! I know. There were reports that health care healthcare workers could not tend to the sick, um, nor could grave diggers bury the dead because they were too ill. Mass graves were dug by steam shovel, and bodies were buried without coffins in many places. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I Although, get though. Wouldn't that just like I don't know speed up? Decomposition, Yeah. Yes, but that can be dangerous because that can spread the disease. if the de- That's true. If, the, if they're not buried deep enough. And if, like, if it's a mass grave and they're leaving it open, Ugh. like, that's a problem. Also, it, like, really stinks. Um,
1: <laughs> I never thought about coffins being useful in yeah. that way.
0: Yeah. But the thing with the Spanish flu is, and I'm about to get to a section called What Can We Learn from the Spanish Flu? Yeah. Is, like, they didn't close stuff. They kept things running, and I'm going to explain why. <sighs> Um, people weren't told to stay at home. They just didn't understand medicine. Yeah. They didn't understand quite so well. Like, germ theory was still relatively new. I talked about that with the the yeah. hospital. It just wasn't, it never occurred to them to shut down. And part of that was because of World War One. They were like, we literally can't shut down. We're in the middle of a war. Mm-hmm. It'll kill our soldiers if we yeah. stop being a society. So Skip Desjardins, author of September 1918, War, Plague, and the World <laughs> Series. That's such a funny name because it's like, his first name is so normal and like Skip, like it sounds like a nickname and then his last name is all fancy. Like It means the garden. Oh. Skip the gardens. <laughs> Skip the gardens. <laughs> like, Don't oh, go God. to them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Shelter in place. Skip in the gardens. Skip the gardens. <laughs> um, says, quote, the second biggest challenge then is now is the limitation on our medical infrastructure. By the third week of the pandemic in 1918, virtually every hospital in Massachusetts closed its doors to patients. The beds were full. The hallways were full. The waiting rooms were full. Doctors already in limited supply because America was in the midst of World War One, were dying. So mm-hmm. were nurses. There was no one to drive the ambulances it's this kind of spike in cases we're working to flatten with the steps we're taking in America today, but we could still be, he said this in March, but we could still be overwhelmed quite quickly. With less than 100,000 available intensive care units worldwide in 2020, it wouldn't take much to see hospitals turning away sick patients or rationing care, which is exactly what's happening. He said this about a month and a half ago before we went into um, a nationwide shutdown, but It is true. Our hospitals got overwhelmed very, very quickly, and we've seen on the news many times several different medical experts, some some of whom worked with the Bush administration and the Obama administration, say that they warned that there needed to be better infrastructure should we be hit with a pandemic because our our medical facilities could not handle something of that scale, and those were ignored by the Trump administration as you know, many people warned that this could be happening very soon and that's exactly what did happen. Um, Desjardins also said that we have not learned our lesson in the government telling people, quote, the full truth. In 1918, politicians pressured factory owners to keep producing ships, guns, and boots for the war effort. The government made dangerous and incorrect statements about how the weather would kill the virus um, and they prioritized, like, the war effort over the health of the country. Yeah. They gave unsanctioned medical advice, such as avoid tight shoes, which really rings with me with the drink Clorox argument.
1: I don't know. Wearing tight shoes is uncomfortable and probably might give you some foot damage long term, but drinking Clorox can kill you immediately. Well, so. no, they were
0: saying that avoid tight shoes, like, would stop you from getting the Spanish flu.
1: Um,
0: or, like, it wearing looser shoes would mean that the... Just the, the fact that it's, it's yeah. quack advice that yeah, yeah, won't yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. John Barry, who I mentioned earlier, he wrote the great influenza and epic story of the deadliest plague in history, says, I think he means modern history because yeah. the Black Death was more deadly, mm-hmm. but I don't know that. It's the most, it is, this is the most deadly f- plague of modern history. Mm-hmm. Um, says the response to this virus is different because, quote, the personality of the leadership um, and because that previously crafted preparedness plan has pretty much been ignored. In 1918, the government lied by telling people that the flu was nothing unusual and that they shouldn't be afraid of contracting it. That turned out to be a lie, so it's important at this time to seek out the truth and about what to do to stay safe and follow the science, not the politics. And that's what I have to say about that. Thank you. There was so much that I was like, yep, feel that. <laughs> But and you we, had to close a couple of businesses. Literally, like the Wikipedia article, I was like, "No one's, no one's read this in our modern, in our modern moment," because it was mm-hmm. like, and some stores even had to close. <laughs> and it was just the tone. But I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you couldn't go to the hair salon." <laughs> but it's true. Like, there, it killed so many people, and their daily life was like pretty much uninterrupted which was the problem which is why like yeah. really I mean World War 1 had everything to do with it and were we in the middle of a war like that at this moment I don't know how our lives would have changed um mm. and what we would be facing that would be different because I am understanding of the fact that at that point um the government had a responsibility to the troops that they sent over to World War One, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think it would be a very different history and a very different story had this happen and they had shut everything down and they had just said good luck to the troops over there. Mm-hmm. Like, the factories were producing things that were needed. But, I don't know, it's so hard to fathom, especially considering now we live in a place where we have all this technology and they just didn't, you know? yeah how were they supposed to communicate that they didn't there's just so much more at our disposal now to analyze coronavirus and what's going on with all of that than they had to really analyze the spanish flu most of these discoveries came only in retrospect like people now are still doing studies on the spanish flu to fully understand what it was and where it came from because now only now do we have that capability so it's really hard but i think the big thing was that like the everyday person's life was not forced to change. Yeah. And that created a really big problem. And we should all be lucky that we are not in the middle of a war right now. I mean, I don't know what's going on with, like, currently deployed troops. Yeah. But we are at a place to have better medical care. (laughs) And they're not sitting in trenches, hopefully. So.
1: And we just, we have science now that we didn't have back then. So we need to listen to it. Right. The people who are ignoring, like, scientists and doctors are just...
0: I just don't understand. Right. And it's just it's so frustrating that it's, like, the the biggest problem that we can learn from. Like, there are lots of things that happened to the Spanish flu. Okay, because they didn't have the technology. Great. Uh-huh. Now we have the technology. But it's a lot of stuff that happened that is repeating that has nothing to do with technology. Like, listening to unsanctioned medical advice. Yeah. And... Just, like, not trusting your instincts on, like, if you're sick, if you're sick, stay home. Yeah. Like, just little things like that that are so ridiculous. I'm just so worried that, it, like, I
1: so many states are talking about, like, opening back up and right. that we're gonna end the quarantine and then resume life and then it's just gonna get bad again. Right. Like, with this,
0: with the Spanish flu, the yeah. second wave was worse. Yeah. Like what if that happens, you know? That's definitely a concern. I mean, yeah, it's all it's all a lot. So I hope everyone out there is doing the right thing. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside. If you go out, wear a mask. Um I saw this really great infographic that was about how virus how about how germs spread when you're wearing yeah. a mask versus where you don't. And it's like if two people are talking close and they're not wearing a mask, it's very high. If one person's wearing a mask, it's it's high if both people are wearing a mask it's low and if you're both wearing a mask and you're six feet apart it's very low yeah so it's just like good health precaution exactly you know it's awkward but it is amazing you know every week I go to the grocery store and every week it becomes more natural to like avoid people at first I felt really uncomfortable doing it because I felt rude yeah and now it's like you can't think of it as rude it just has to be a part of your life to like back way far up so someone can pass you yeah. you know that's just a part of it or like if I'm on the sidewalk and someone's coming towards me like I get out and go into the street like that's yeah. just part of it now um and it is interesting how quickly we've adapted to that I feel like basic manners are gonna be really hard to get back into after yeah. this anyway even the like dumb like elbow bump like I feel like we should stop like like
1: handshakes are never gonna are, are gonna take a while to come back oh yeah like just um, casual affection, like, is going to take a while to come back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's going to be really, really hard. So, anyway... Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at podcast. You can check out our website, I'veBeenWondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us directly through the link in the bio on Anchor, or consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Both are very helpful. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Jane, you mm-hmm. know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I'm going to give you one that I think will be easy and like nice. short because you just did a lot of work. <laughs> and I thought of it when you were talking about superheroes and talking about like content being safe for children. And I want to know how we came up with the movie rating system. And oh, when, like and, PG,
1: PG-13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. when
0: that became necessary and how okay. that happened. Same with like, it's on TV now too. It's like TV MA. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, you've been wanting to talk about this for weeks. Okay,
1: <laughs> I want you to tell me about the Mongol Empire. <laughs> yes, I've been, <laughs> I've been watching
0: both seasons of Marco Polo to prepare for this. <laughs> I'm so excited. They kept I'm, coming up. Yeah. Well, we were watching History of the World, I guess, yeah. and it comes up in that. And then we were talking about we were we were doing something else that was. Oh, about I the mentioned I mean, them when we were talking about the um the airport the New yes. World Order. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And wasn't it isn't that related? Didn't we talk about it with Mulan too? Or was she before? No. No, that's like in the movie Mulan. Yeah. <laughs> she's like Mulan. She's like working she's figuring yeah. out the Mongols. Yeah. Um she's Mulan. <laughs> she's Mulan, you know. <laughs> so that's exciting. Oh man. I'm going to try to condense it. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot. Oh, yeah. But I'm very excited. Okay. (laughs) I love talking about dynasties. Great. So fascinating. That is everything this week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.